Oh, 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 my gosh. We're live. We're, oh, it's Sunday. Oh, hey, welcome everybody to uh, Church on the Couch. Uh, we are having a fantastic uh, gathering, and thank you for being a part of it. Uh, obviously, no room in the sanctuary here, so glad we could have the overflow at your house today. Uh, I'm dressed for the occasion. I hope you are too. Uh, actually, you know, I'm going to take this robe off because I have a job to do. And I want to give you a message uh, as part of our series, Live for Today, Prepare for Tomorrow. And we've talked about eat right. We've talked about go to school. We've talked about uh, do the work. Today we're talking about giving everything away. That might seem kind of counterintuitive to you. And I want you to be ready for some scripture. So what I'm going to ask you to do is get a Bible, pull it out of the plastic shrink wrap, pry it out of the box, dust it off, or, or, or open up your phone, and turn to Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But first of all, thank you for being here today. I know it's been a very challenging week. Uh, it's demanded a lot from everybody. I've been so impressed how uh, our church has risen to the occasion, and I want to thank you for being part of that a movement of God's people, a movement of God's spirit in a very trying and difficult time with lots of uncertainty. Uh, I want to start with a question this morning. Here's my question of you. Have you ever been robbed? <laughs> now you're, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, this week I was robbed. I, I, I was told I couldn't go out. I was robbed of my time. I was robbed of my access to uh, work, to school, uh, all kinds of ways. But I'm talking about a different kind of being robbed. Have you ever literally been robbed. And I want to tell you a story. In college, uh, someone broke into my car and stole my tape deck. Now, for those of you who have no idea what a tape deck is, uh, it's simply a device built into the dashboard of your car that allows you to play music. And so as a college kid, this was an essential part uh, of me driving. Uh, I needed gas for the car. I needed a tape deck for me. So I came out one morning uh, on my way to class. I lived in a house with friends uh, adjacent to a sketchy neighborhood, and somebody had stolen my tape deck. I, I don't know who, obviously. It was just a thief in the night. But I was angry, and I wanted immediate revenge on the thief. Perhaps if you were ever robbed, you wanted immediate justice, you wanted revenge, you wanted consequences to fall heavy on that thief. And so here as a full-time student, working part-time, serving as a part-time youth leader, volunteer in my church, serving as a Young Life volunteer leader at Will Glen High School uh, in, in Will Glen. Uh, I, I, was, I was pushing hard. I'd bought the tape deck with my own money, and I had no margin. I, I, I couldn't replace it. I was your typical starving college student. And as I was churning and stewing in my juices, sitting in my car, my jalopy car, thinking this is just not right, it occurred to me that I should pray for the thief <clears throat> maybe that is the last thing uh, on our minds when we're robbed, to pray for the thief. But, but I've come to understand that that's probably uh, the first thing we should do. So I, I, I started to pray for the thief. I, I started praying revenge from heaven. <laughs> and then I realized that any person who broke into old cars and stole tape decks was at risk and already at risk uh, for heading to a very bad end. So this person was on a slippery slope toward a very bad end. And so I wanted to pray for them. And you know the trajectory of crime. Uh, it starts with lying, and then stealing, then rationalizing it. And next thing you know, you're working on Wall Street or at Google or Facebook. 
Um, eventually, it all catches up with you, and you're a member of Congress using insider trading uh, to sell stock. It's something like that. But, you know, there's a trajectory to crime. It starts a little, we rationalize a little, and eventually we start rationalizing bigger and bigger and bigger things that eventually will catch up with us. So I was praying for this person. I realized I needed to think, and I needed to pray redemptively. That is, what would God want to do in this situation? How can I be part of what God might want to do in this situation, besides just being so angry that I've been ripped off? At that moment, really, the big issue was no longer me having been robbed of my tape deck stolen, but it was my heart. My heart was the issue at that point. My heart belongs to God, not to the thief. At that point, my heart belonged to the thief. My mind was on the thief. The thief was living rent-free in my house, in my mind, right? So I prayed that that thief, and I'm going to call him he, would face consequences that would bring him to the Lord. At that point, I could have prayed dead or alive, but I really wanted him to come alive uh, to the Lord, in the Lord. And so I prayed for his salvation, I prayed for his rehabilitation. Uh, I asked the Lord to change my heart since there was no way for the hurt, the loss, uh, my anger to be satisfied. I had been robbed. I wanted justice. I wanted my tape deck, but I needed God. You see how this is all shaping up? I've been robbed, and I need God. So, this is where I, I'm always amazed and delighted how prayer reframes everything for us and puts it in the proper context. Even in the midst of our anger, our loss, our hurt, God speaks to us and gives us some alternatives to help us get out of that spin cycle that we immediately get caught in when we feel like life isn't going the way we want it to go, when it's certainly unfair and even illegal, right? So I pulled a move from Les Miserables. If you remember Les Miserables, uh, Jean Valjean, uh, out of desperation, steals, and, he's, and he's, he steals some bread, and, and he's so desperate, he breaks into a church, and he steals silver from the church. Well, then some gendarmes, uh, the constabulary people, the police, arrest him, and they figure out that this came from the church, so they take him to the church, and they present him to the bishop as if the bishop would confirm, yes, that's, that's the, the stuff that was stolen, that must be the thief. But instead... The bishop says to Valjean, in front of these gendarmes, you forgot the candlesticks. He sees Valjean's situation. He could nail him for the crime, but he chooses to act redemptively. He says, oh, by the way, in addition to all the other silver that you took, you forgot to take the silver candlesticks. Then, of course, the gendarmes are thinking something is fishy here, what's going on, but they can't do anything, so they leave. Once they leave, the bishop uh, says to Jean Valjean, use this to become an honest man. He gives him the candlesticks. Use this to become an honest man. That's what I needed to do at that moment. I needed to say to that anonymous, faceless thief, I give you these, use these, I use this tape pick to become an honest man. It sounds kind of silly, but I had no other alternatives before me. And, and more importantly than me saying to him, use the stuff you stole from me to become a better man, I needed to use this situation to become a better man. Lord, use this in my life uh, to make me a better man. Redeem this situation, starting with me. And so in Jesus' name, I gave my tape deck to the thief 
and committed him and myself to the Lord. And I started to feel at peace. I was still angry and hurt and frustrated, and I felt violated and ripped off. But I started to feel a sense of peace, a sense of power, actually a sense of control in the midst of a situation that I couldn't control. It was gone. It was over. I needed to move on. I needed to deal with it. I couldn't be trapped in it. And though I missed my tip deck, uh, I felt the anger and resentment give way to a renewed understanding that the world is broken. Not justifying this person's actions, but just recognizing this is why this stuff happens. We live in a broken world. It was a moment of clarity for me. Don't we all need moments of clarity? Perhaps in the last week you've had some moments of clarity about being sequestered, about being deprived of some freedom, about the uncertainty of, could I get this virus? Could I lose my job? Is life going to be the same? Am I going to have to repeat a whole semester of school over again? What's going to happen? It was a moment of clarity for me. Uh, It was counterintuitive. It wasn't my first thought. It wasn't my first impulse. It was something God was doing in me to reframe my thinking, to give me a larger context for what I was experiencing. Perhaps you need that this week and right now. And so it was counterintuitive and it was healing for me. I gave away what I never truly owned but I had use of. By that I mean, yes, it was my car, my tape deck, but really it wasn't mine. It was something God had provided for me. Yes, I worked, I saved, I bought the car, I bought the tape deck. It was, a, it was an old beater, but it was my car, it was my transportation. But even that, I, I, I had to see that was, that was a gift from God to me. He'd given me the capacity to earn the money to buy that car. And so I gave away what I never truly owned but had had use of. And, and like they say about playing Monopoly, at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. So in this life, I have access and use to things, but ultimately they're not mine. And if I really believe that they are mine unwittingly, unintentionally, I become theirs. It owns me. And so at this point, two souls were at stake here, the thief and me. And the only, the only one I could really deal with was me. And so for our theme, live for today, prepare for tomorrow, our, our, our focus today is give everything away. If we're going to live for today and prepare for tomorrow, we need moments of clarity moments of clarity, to give us momentum of clarity as we journey in this relationship with the living God. In, in our development as, as people before God, as God's people together. Give everything away is about dying to ourselves and living for God in a broken world that isn't fair, is not predictable, that we can't adequately control. It's a place where everyone is tempted to cut corners and game the system. That's what this thief was doing. Hey, there's a tape deck. I'll break into the car and I'll take it. They didn't want to work for it. They had a rationalization for why that was okay, but they were gaming the system because they had started by gaming themselves. This is the way the world is and I got to go for it. So giving everything away, giving everything away, as we unpack that, it starts with this. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live. I've given my life to the living God. I've said, I want to learn to live under your sovereignty. I'm not going to do that passively. I'm going to take responsibility for my life. But I'm going to give my life to you because you're the one 
who created me. You're the one who is redeeming me. And you're the one who has promised to show me how to experience life in all its fullness. So I'm submitting myself to you and your purposes, Lord. It's no longer I who live in charge of me, sovereign of me. You live in me, and you're my new sovereign. You're giving me the capacity to live into my right mind, my right heart, a right relationship with you, and a right, right relationship with the people I encounter in life. And so I'm on a mission for God, trusting God and walking with Him through life. He's with me. He's for me. He's my defender. He's my hope. He's my protector and my provider. And so I'm learning to use everything He's entrusted to me, blessing people with it. That's where we go with this idea that if I'm eating right in the Lord, <laughs> the, the Word of God, if I'm going to school and learning His ways, as I'm being guided in that process and doing the work to appropriate what He's given me by grace, I need to learn to give everything away. I need to let go of it all and say, Lord, this is yours. How do you want to use it in me? And that's not a transaction. Uh, I'm not buying happiness. I'm receiving it. It's not an exchange. It's a release. If my hands are full of my stuff, I can't, really, I can't receive what God wants to put in my hands. And so I'm finding that if I use everything he's entrusted to me to bless people, it honors him and it transforms me. So let's look at this scripture. Uh, by the way, let me say one more thing about that. Give everything, giving everything away means traveling light with God. It's not being encumbered with all your stuff. Not being weighed down by all your stuff. We hold it loose, we don't hold it tight. It's ours for a season, uh, maybe forever, or maybe not. Maybe God has entrusted us with something that we keep in trust for someone else that we don't know yet who we're going to be giving that to. How that's going to be useful to God at the right time in the right way. Now, if I could have found the guy who stole my deck, I would have done two things. I'd have reclaimed my deck, and I would have offered him help. At least I'd like to think I would have. I for sure would have reclaimed my deck. But I'd like to think I'd say, okay, now, I don't know why you stole my tape deck. I'd like to know why you stole my tape deck. I'd like to know what you need. What's driving you to do this? Why would you think this is an okay way to live? I think there's a better way to live. I'd like to talk to you about that. Why would I do this? Because I'd want him to receive something he didn't earn, just like I did. The love and grace and forgiveness of God. I'd want them to learn to give something that they don't know that they have, that he doesn't know he has. You have something so much more here than ripping people off and rationalizing it. See, that's truth and grace and love in action. And that's what Jesus does for me as I give everything to him. He gives me everything I need to do everything he wants me to do. Even if I literally continue to have my stuff, I'm using it in a whole different way. I'm seeing it in a whole different way. And so here we are in Luke chapter 18, 18 to 30. Uh, a certain ruler, it says, <clears throat> and, and, and in Matthew's version of this, he tells us the man is young. Uh, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in Matthew's uh, version of the story, he says, well, you know, how do I live the good life? First of all, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's something really interesting going on there. Jesus establishing, you know, if you think I'm good, it's because I'm God. And so he says to him, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Immediately the man says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. 
Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, uh, the rich young man became very sad. And Luke tells us he was very wealthy. Because he was very wealthy, he became very sad. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Those who are literally rich in the world's eyes, but who think they're rich, who think they don't need the things that God alone can provide. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a crazy, impossible situation. Figurative, hyperbolic speech making the point. You can't get there from here. You're going in the wrong direction to get where you really want to go and need to go and where God is inviting you to go. Well then, shockingly, you know, he, he just basically said wealth is not going to save you. Everybody hearing this conversation between the man and Jesus are shocked because they're all thinking, well, yeah, of course it does. Wealth makes all the difference in the world. Who then can be saved, they asked. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm sitting in my jalopy car thinking, this is an impossible situation. And it took me a while to realize, you know what? All things are possible with God. I might not get my tape deck back, but I might get more clarity on who he is in my life. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. No one who's done this will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You'll get something of such greater value as you give everything away. Whether that means to do that literally or to do that attitudinally. Now this is the only time that Jesus actually told somebody, give everything away and then come follow me. But virtually everybody who encounters Jesus realizes that if they don't release everything they think they're in charge of, that they're in control of, there's no room for God to do his work, to show us how to literally give it away, to be unencumbered by it, or to show us how to be good managers of it. This man had the capacity to give everything away and follow Jesus. Apparently he would have lacked nothing, but he, but he thought he didn't really need anything. He was righteous enough. I'm righteous enough. Wealthy, too. His wealth was a sure thing he could depend on. He really didn't think he needed anything else Jesus could give him except affirmation and confirmation. Good teacher, would you affirm how good I am? Would you tell me how wonderful I am, how impressed you are with me, how I am like no one else among my peers? As a young, wealthy, influential person uh, in this place, will you simply recognize that and call that out in front of all these people so I can be assured that my image of myself is accurate and remains intact? That was essential for his prestige essential for his standing in his world and his values. We often come to God saying, I want you to confirm and affirm everything awesome about me. But Jesus extends an invitation instead of confirmation or affirmation. He extends an invitation. Why? Because he sees the man's need in a way that the man himself can't see it. Jesus wanted to show him the goodness of God. And, and I've met so many people like him. I have been like him. Uh, we want recognition and we want reinforcement we think we need validation, but we need more than validation. What we really need and what we really hunger for is God himself. 
We yearn and we hunger. We were created to thrive under the things that God alone can provide. And anything we put in substitute of that, people, prestige, power, position, connections, recognition, acclaim, will always fall short. That's why it's a trite cliche to say, gee, I had everything, but I had nothing. Is this all there is? So comparatively, this fellow lacked nothing. He was, among his peers, probably superior, trying to be very good, trying to get it right, doing all the right things. But Jesus tells him, one thing you lack. Now that stings, doesn't it? That, that hurts. If you're doing everything you can and, and, and the person you're trying to impress says, you know, great as far as it goes, but one thing you lack. And when they finally say, and by the way, that one thing is the only thing that matters. That can be crushing, can be discouraging. So when Jesus says, one thing you lack, what's this young man's response? He walks away. In a sense, he's saying, I'm someone who lacks nothing. But if I listen to you, I'll lack everything. I'll be giving everything I have away. I'll lose my identity. I'll lose my power, my prestige, my position, my security. Then what will I be? Then what will I do? I'll look like a fool. And so Luke says he walked away sad because he had so much. So much of what? So much of what? I'm missing so much this week because I can't do what I normally do. What are you missing? First of all, you can conduct your life nowadays pretty easily from a comfortable chair. And even if you can't, even if you can't, there's so much that you might be letting go of this week is exactly what you need to get out of the way so you can come into a deeper understanding of who you really are and what your life is really all about. So much of what? Jesus had more to give him and to give through him. Think about it this way. God wants to do a work in you, and God wants to do a work through you. They both go together. He wants to do a work in you that has a significant social impact in the world. If we try to do that significant social impact without him doing a work in us, it's empty. It's just one more striving for something that falls far short. It's just out of reach. That's why we're saved by grace, but the works we do are based on the powerful work that God is doing in us with stuff that we're responsible for, but we don't really own. It all belongs to him. Uh, Where does this idea come from uh, that it all belongs to him? Uh, It's out of Genesis 1 to 3. God made everything, he owns everything, and he's appointed us to manage it. That's Genesis 1 and 2. That's Genesis 1 and 2 that God has created everything, he owns everything, and he's appointed us to be good stewards of it, is the old-fashioned word for that. To be managers of it, to care for all creation, starting with ourselves and one another. But something went very wrong, and the world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's Genesis 3. And God is in this world redeeming it, and we're able uh, to, to join him in that redemptive work. The work he does in us, the work he does through us. You see that? That's the rest of the Bible. That's Genesis 4 to the very end of the Bible. The end of very, very end of Revelation. So, C.S. Lewis observed that we are far too easily pleased with ourselves and our pursuits when God wants to show us so much more. I was thinking about that this week. I thought, well, what is the so much more he wants to show us? The man had so much in his own perception, but God wanted to show him and give him so much more. What would that be? How about God's breathtaking goodness, God's amazing mercy, God's incredible justice, grace, and love? How about the very life of God? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. We immediately think, oh, a better material life. That is certainly part of it. 
A safer life, yes, of course it includes that. A more meaningful life, absolutely. But really it's his life in ours. That's the source of the abundant life. That's the redemption of all creation. And so we see in Jesus' ministry that we all need God. All of us, 100% of us, no exceptions. I need God as much as the person who ripped me off needs God. Because in ways, conscious or unconscious, I've been ripping other people off as well in all kinds of ways that I'm not even aware of, perhaps within the law. But nonetheless, we all need what God wants to give us. And so walking with Jesus is walking with the author and sustainer of life, the one who knows us better than anybody else and still likes us. (laughs) He even loves us. He even died for us and lives for us, even when we were enemies toward him, the Bible tells us. And so we bring our stuff with us and ask him, what do you want me to do with this? You see, that, that rich young ruler didn't say, hey, this is who I am, this is what I have, what do you want me to do with it? Rather, he said, look how awesome this life is that I've put together. Now, conversely, somebody could have been behind that rich young ruler saying, well, I'm just the opposite. Everything is bad with me. Everything is wrong with me. And likewise, Jesus could have said, well, hey, why don't you let go of that and follow me? Oh, no, I can't let go of it. Really? You can't let go of it? No. We're funny that way as people. We bring our stuff, good stuff and bad stuff, and really we're free to ask him, what do you want me to do with this? But often we say, don't touch this. Don't touch this. Because if we do ask the question, what do you want me to do with this? He might say, leave it. I've got everything you need. Or he might say, well, here's a better version of that. Take this instead. Your version of love, I've got a better version of love. Your version of goodness, I've got a better version of that. Your version of power, I think I can improve on that. Or he might say, hold on to that. We'll need it as we go. Let's just say that rich young ruler had done what Jesus had invited him and instructed him to do, and now is walking with Jesus. And he says wistfully, well, you know, Jesus, now that I don't have anything, (laughs) Jesus would have said, what do you mean you don't have anything? Well, you know, I gave it all away. He'd say, look, what you have is inside you. You have capacity you haven't even begun to tap. We're going to need that as we go along together. See the power of that? For us to say I'm giving it all away and I'm giving my life to God isn't discounting the fact that we're made in God's image and we have something to offer. There's some potential in us. It's just saying we'll never realize that potential on our own without him at the center, at the core of who we are. So one of the most significant experiences I had as a new Christian was meeting people who were living life as new creations in Christ. They were, they were my peers, they were older than me, they were way older than me, they were, they were super established people who had had the, all the conventional things you'd think, oh, that's a good life, but they saw it so differently than anyone had ever met before. Their value was not what they had, but in their identity as God's beloved. And they were very humble about it. Now, they were secure in him. Why? Because they knew that he, was, he loved them unequivocally, unconditionally, and was going to provide for them and work through them in ways that they couldn't even anticipate, that, but they might hope for and, and guess about, right? And so they, they were so secure they could live with gracious abandon. Some were wealthy, mostly they weren't. But they all lived generously. It shaped the way I chose to live my life to this day. Not, and it's not, that's not heroic. That's just normal. When I came to understand that there's a new norm, it changed everything about the way I saw my life and, and life in general. So 
And I've, I came to understand that this is how love works. When it's invested creatively, it creates value for everyone. When it ceases to circulate, people decline. We can apply that to the whole idea of capital, of, of wealth, money, stuff, resources. When it's invested creatively, it creates value for everyone. When it ceases to circulate, people and economies decline. And we can make the choice. You can hoard your stuff. Nations can hoard their stuff. Classes of people can hoard their stuff. Or we can release our stuff. Whether that stuff is material wealth or it's love and grace and goodness and forgiveness and compassion. But until we give it all up and follow him, we all lack what we need. We think we have enough, but we, we are so unprepared for the inevitabilities of life, just like so many people feel unprepared right now. So I suggest you make a list of everything you have and give it all to God. Sign it over to Him, write it out, or simply say, Lord, I give you everything I have. It's no longer mine. How would you like me to use it? To glorify you and bless people. Well, I've already done that, you might say. Well, do it again in a fresh way, in a fresh season of your life in the uncertainties of your life, when you really want to cling to everything you think you own and have. How would you feel doing that? How would you feel about giving everything away? What would that look like in your life? Well, it would be stupid. It would be dumb. It would be foolish. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Don't say, I don't have anything to give away. Don't say, I can't afford to give everything away. Don't say, I've given it all to God, so it's not available to anybody else. Uh, that was a, an interesting problem for people like the rich young ruler. They had a concept called korban. And where Moses had said, you need to care for your family in the Ten Commandments. You need to care for people. They said, oh no, korban, it's this the oath I've taken. I've given it all to God. Therefore, it's untouchable except for me. It was a gaming. And Jesus called them out on it, called these leaders out on it. said, you know what? You're, you're robbing God when you do that. You don't like being ripped off? Guess what? You're ripping off God. It's a problem for modern-day rich young rulers, too. It's all mine, and it's all for good. It's a faux righteousness. It's a, it's a faux attitude toward generosity. It's living by their version of the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. When, God, when good isn't rooted in God's sovereignty, it stops being good. When goodness stops being rooted in God's sovereignty, it stops being good. What does it become? Good becomes a prop we use to rationalize everything we do. The guy who stole my tape deck and the rich young ruler both rationalized their choices. They acted reasonably according to their values and aspirations, but they were the wrong values and distorted aspirations. I want to be good on my terms. I want to be righteous on my terms. And so we easily rationalize our veto of God's sovereignty and authority in our life. Yes, yes, of course, Lord, but in this situation, I think you can see this is what I should do and why I shouldn't do that. It's very sad because we miss the very thing we lack, the very thing that Jesus offers. So once you resolve to give everything you have to God, what then? I want to wrap up with some practical thoughts on this. When you resolve to give everything you have to God, literally to give it all away or to think about it differently so that you start giving it creatively over a long period of time, however that, however that it, it plays out in you, however God confirms that in you, it might be a sudden thing. Here it is. It might be a gradual thing. Okay, I, I'm going to wisely distribute this. 
Again, God customizes uh, all things to us. His word is for everyone, and he customizes it in certain situations, right? I want you to do it this way. I want you to do, do it that way. At the end of, uh, after his resurrection, Jesus was talking to Peter and to John. And, and, and God pulls Peter aside, and they're talking, and Peter says, what about him? And points to John, and Jesus says, don't worry about him. I'll, I'll deal with him, but I'm talking to you. What is God saying to you? Here's how it will look like in your life. If you give everything you have to God, if you give everything away and follow Him, walk with Him, here's how it will look. You'll see your time, your talent, your treasure, your connections as His gifts to you, not possessions that you own and control. You'll see everything, in fact, in your life as a gift and a means to bless others in His name. It'll open you up. You might be super generous and, and open already, but this will open you up in more profound ways than you could even imagine. You'll make sure people have access to the resources God has entrusted to you without making them feel small. Often one of the, the gaming maneuvers we do is we make people feel small for expressing need. We make them feel small for holding us accountable, for using what God has entrusted to us. How will your life look? You'll light up with joy as you care for others and grow deep in the Lord. Do you know what the best antidote for boredom is and for stress and for despair? It's comforting and serving others. It's practicing generosity. Do you know that that's the, the best antidote? Our, our system is created to handle stress in ways that give us the capacity to become resilient and compassionate, to be responsible for ourselves, but, but focused on others. That's a powerful, powerful thing that God has built into us. But all we often get out of that is the negative side of stress, stewing in our own juices. Whatever I have might be taken from me. I might be deprived of what is rightfully mine. What would this look like in your life? Your children and grandchildren will learn a big lesson from you as you give everything to God and follow Him. You'll influence others to go and do likewise. Your stuff will never own you because it's no longer your stuff. It's God's. You can let it go. Wow, oh, I miss my tape deck, but it's a tape deck. I'll sing more. Anybody who gets in my car has to sing. <laughs> we don't have a tape deck. And so remember why you're doing this. You will live forever. Your stuff won't. You, in Christ, will live forever. Your stuff will not. Your stuff won't be part of the new creation. Since everything we have and are belongs to God, why not live like it right now? Let this disruption in our lives be the new season to say, Lord, I want to give everything away. Uh, last week, if you have money in the markets, you gave everything away. It was actually taken from you. You feel ripped off because the market crashed. Think about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Had you given all that that you lost anyway away, how would you feel today? You'd feel pretty smart and you'd feel, wow, my heart is so filled with joy that I could have given that away. Instead, you're feeling, ugh resentful and second-guessing yourself and frustrated, looking for somebody to blame. Since everything we have and are belongs to God, why not live like it? Start there. That's the place where, where renewal starts. That's how revivals start. When you've seen these spiritual renewals and awakenings documented in history, where do they start? With people who start there. Lord, I belong to you. What do you want to do in me and through me to bless people in your name? So that's how you live for today and prepare for tomorrow and prepare for eternity today. 
Eat well by feeding on God's Word and Spirit. Go to school with godly mentors as coaches and guides. Do the work of choosing to live in grace and walking in love. Give everything to God and trust in Him always in all things. And then celebrate something. We're going to talk about that next week. Celebrate something. In the meantime, don't waste this crisis. Do not waste this crisis. It's an opportunity given, given you by God. It's not a calamity. It's an opportunity. It's a moment where you and God can reboot and reset. Take time to rest, renew, and reset. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that calls out of us a hunger for you, confirms our absolute need for your absolute grace. I thank you for each one uh, listening in here, or those who will listen uh, days uh, and weeks uh, from now, that you would speak to them through your word, through these words, that, Lord, in this time of uncertainty, you would be the fixed point on our horizon. You would be the point of our certainty. Lord, in these times of, of deprivation and fearfulness, we realize that you are the absolute provider. You're the giver of every good and perfect gift. And from the fullness of your grace, you are blessing us with every blessing. Lord, so we pray for this church that we can do everything you want us to do and be everything you want us to be. We pray for churches around this community, around this country, and around the world that the church can be revived and renewed in times like this. We pray for those who don't know you, that you would connect them to someone who does know you. That, Lord, you would show us our lack and what you want to provide in the face of our lack. Fill the gaps, Lord, so that we can be useful to you. We know we're loved by you and valued by you, but we, Lord, also so want to be useful to you. So that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his presence upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day.